Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's really, really good to be able to continue in this series about the mission of God. Uh, if you're new or if you've been away, as a short reminder, we've been talking for the last few weeks while we've been in this season of Epiphany about God's promise to welcome all nations into the family and the kingdom of God. And as Brian mentioned uh, a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series, that largely begins with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 in which God promises that through him, through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That God's going to use this one man to welcome all the world into covenant relationship with himself. And last week, he took us through pretty much the rest of the Old Testament by way of the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, to assure us that this promise isn't something that God forgets about until Jesus comes. That the salvation of the world, of the nations, is something that has been on God's mind. It is what God has been working toward throughout the course of history. This morning, we're going to take a look at the Great Commission. My goal for today is to talk about where we fit into the story. Because we know at this point, from what Brian has been sharing with us, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise to bless all the nations through Abraham. Uh, that he is the one who came to save the nations. And we also know at this point that we are the nations, that Jesus came to save us. So what now is the question? Is the story over? Do we just kind of sit on our hands until Jesus comes back to make all things new? Do we get to rest on our laurels now? Of course, the answer is no. <laughs> that would be the shortest sermon ever preached here at St. Pete's. <laughs> So the story is not over, and we do have a part to play. But before we get to that, there's something that we need to be careful about. We need to steer clear of the idea that everything is up to us now, okay? That Jesus did his bit and then kind of handed the baton to us, and now it's our job to finish the work, okay? If, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, clue in right now. God's plan of salvation is not a relay race. It is not a team event even. It is a marathon that God himself runs from beginning to end. Right? The Bible says that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's his work from beginning to end in us. And even though we are gifted to play a part in Jesus's work to bless all the nations, it's still his work. It does not depend on our strength. That is so important to remember when talking about a passage like the Great Commission. This is Jesus' work. Here's my big idea for today. Jesus is still working today to fulfill that promise to Abraham. He gives us the gift of being able to participate in his work. And he will not fail to welcome all the families of the earth into his new creation. Okay? And nowhere is this clearer than in the first chapter of Acts. Okay, you might have wondered why we read so much of that first section of Acts when, you know, really I'm trying to get to you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, right? Um, 
Well, let's take a look at it together, if you don't mind. Uh, it's page 909, 909, and the Bible's in your seats. I invite you to turn there. While you're turning there, I will remind you a little bit about Acts. It was written by Luke, same guy who wrote Luke, the gospel. And uh, both Luke and Acts are written to the same person, a guy called Theophilus. These two books go together. Scholars are pretty agreed on the fact that Luke-Acts, as it's called, the little hyphen in the middle, Luke-Acts is one work in two volumes. So these books are meant to be read together. And this is how Luke opens the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Did you catch that? Let me read it again. Not the whole thing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do. So what's implied there? That the first book, Luke, is about what Jesus starts, and the second book, Acts, is about what Jesus continues, right? So we call this book the Acts of the Apostles, but perhaps a better name for it would be the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles, and furthermore, the book of Acts makes clear that the apostles are powerless without the Holy Spirit, right? In verses four and five, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit before they do anything. And in verse eight, he tells them that they will receive power. They will be able to do the work he has given them to do when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So perhaps an even better name for the book of Acts would be the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit through the apostles, doesn't quite roll off the tongue as easily, though. So I understand why we went with Acts of the Apostles. Yes, the apostles have a part to play. Jesus is about to tell them to go be his witnesses. Okay, But right here at the beginning of the book, we have a reminder that nothing the apostles do for the kingdom, and by extension, nothing that we do for the kingdom, is done by our own strength. We are not working alone. Jesus isn't a manager who gives us a job to do and then he goes away and he comes back to make sure we've done it right. It's more like, um, yeah. it's more like when you were a kid, uh, did you ever help your dad fix the lawnmower or something like that? Did you fix the lawnmower? No, your dad did it. You probably held the flashlight, right? But he wanted you there. He delighted in your being there and participating in the work. Jesus is never going to leave us to do this work alone. Remember, what's the last sentence of the Great Commission that we just read? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He will never leave us or forsake us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. This is his work. So if you worry uh, when you hear that the topic of the sermon is the Great Commission. <laughs> if you get anxious about that, or if you're confused, or you feel a little bit helpless, like, how do I make this happen? Uh, the good news is, you don't make it happen. There is no guilt trip here this morning. Uh, Jesus is going to do his work. He is going to fix that lawnmower. But he's giving you an invitation to hold the flashlight. The privilege to play a part in the story. You know, um, it's common when conversations about the Great Commission come up 
that, uh, for us to remember great saints and great missionaries who devoted their lives to fulfilling the Great Commission. You'll hear names uh, like, obviously, Paul is a big one, uh, Adoniram Judson, Lottie Moon, Mary Slessor. Uh, for me, my favorite Great Commission saint is a woman named Lucinda Clark. Uh, as far as I know, there are no books written about her because she was my ninth grade Spanish teacher. The first year of high school was uh, one of the hardest times of my life. High school can be hard. I'm sure you know. Being a teenager is really hard. And when I was a freshman, I was having trouble sort of finding my place. I didn't know who I was, who I wanted to be. I experienced some depression and kind of withdrew from everybody. I would try to go whole days without speaking if I wasn't called on in class. Um, I didn't believe in God. I had gone to church for a lot of my life. Uh, but any faith that I had had was kind of shallow at best, and it disintegrated under all of that teenage angst. And um, so I would just kind of go to class and keep my head down and try to get through the day. And one day, Mrs. Clark kept me after class. We already had a pretty good relationship. I had had her before. I liked her. She kept me back to talk, just to talk, to ask about what was going on in my life. And I wasn't yet ready to open up about it, uh, but I trusted her, and so she asked if we could keep talking. She kept me back the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and most days after that. And uh, I'm so sorry to my eighth period teacher, Mr. Stiles, who I was always 15 minutes late to his class. Um, and what I remember most about these conversations with Ms. Clark is that she listened to me. She listened to me uh, tell her about my doubts and my fear and my sadness. And through all of these conversations, she showed me the love of Jesus. She shared the gospel with me. In her words, yes, and in her actions. And I can tell you right now that without Lucinda Clark, I would not be here preaching a sermon to you this morning. And as much as I love Ms. Clark, as amazing as I think she is, there's no way that kind of transformation happens if Jesus isn't in that classroom. Maintaining that kind of patience with a 14-year-old is only possible because Jesus was there. The same Jesus who took on our flesh, who took the time to have conversations with Samaritans, who took the time to touch lepers and heal them, who was fighting for his breath on the cross and still made the time to look over at the thief and say, I will remember you when I come into my kingdom. You will be with me in paradise. She got to hold the flashlight while Jesus fixed the lawnmower. It's his work. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the Great Commission in more detail. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you'd like to turn there, it's page 835 in the Bibles in your seats. I invite you to do so. 835. After he's resurrected, says this, Jesus came and said to them, the 11 disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is maybe one of the most famous passages in the Christian Bible. And yet, sometimes I think we don't pay enough attention to what it's actually saying. It's, it's often read with a real sense of urgency, which is appropriate, because the whole world should know Jesus. He is too good to be kept a secret. Amen? But sometimes we're in such a rush to get the good news out there that we miss the fullness of what Jesus wants for the nations. Okay, this is a much more holistic, all-encompassing command than just getting people to pray the sinner's prayer. And that's not a bad thing. I prayed the sinner's prayer. That's why I'm here today. Okay, but what can happen if we're not careful is that we meet somebody and we have a conversation with them about Jesus and they say the prayer and then we say, great, see you in heaven and they fall off our radar. And Jesus has more for people than that. He came to give us life and life abundantly. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is a disciple? And again, that's an all-encompassing word. It has to do with more than just thinking or believing in your mind, which again is important, but that's not all that being a disciple means. If you are a disciple, then you are completely committed to Jesus. Everything you are and everything you have belongs to him, right? So think about what we say at the beginning of every service on Sunday mornings. Brian did it this morning. It's called the summary of the law. And it goes like this. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's pretty holistic, right? That sums up pretty nicely everything that God has for us. Loving him with all that we are which frees us from worrying about ourselves so that we can then fulfill that second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But again, okay, resist the temptation to think this is something that I do on my own. I have to make this happen. I need to work to love the Lord my God with everything that I have. Okay, we don't naturally have that deep trust in God as our provider that allows us to give ourselves away. We don't naturally have the eyes to see the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God that puts our smallness and frailness into perspective. We don't naturally have that love for God that makes us forget about ourselves so we can love and serve our neighbor. This is an impossible commandment to fulfill. But there's good news. And this is the good news that we're entrusted with. Jesus came to succeed where we failed. He came to obey where we disobeyed. And when we receive him by faith as a gift, he raises us to new life in him. And Paul goes so far as to say this in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And so this chaos and this darkness in which we naturally live, that's done away with. And through Jesus, we can love the Lord with everything we have. We can become disciples. That's the good news. And in fact, I, I kind of want to zero in on, on this verse from Paul about creation. Creation is actually hugely important uh, in the work of Christ on earth. 
And there's a bit of a parallel between the creation story in Genesis, the book in which we began this series, and Jesus' stories in the gospel. And this might feel like a bit of a diversion, but it's not, I promise, trust me. Okay, let's think about the creation story. In Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And beginning with that chaotic water, God creates this good world through transformation. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he also goes down to the water and he's baptized. And when he comes up, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the water and the Father saying, This is my well beloved Son, right, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a new creation happening and it starts in the water. Out of chaos comes transformation. When we are baptized, we go down into that water with all of our mess and all of our chaos and all of our darkness, and we come out of the water transformed, a new creation. Genesis, when God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth, Genesis 2 tells us that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. After Jesus is resurrected, John chapter 20 tells us that he appeared to the disciples and said, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And what does he do next? He breathes on them. Here he is continuing this new creation because Jesus overcame sin, death, and the devil and has been raised to new life. We can again become living creatures, new creation. At the very end of the creation story, In Genesis 1, chapter 28, God gives humanity this command, which is traditionally called the creation mandate. It says this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, this work of creation that I have started, you get to participate in it. Where I brought order out of chaos, bring more order. Where I made beauty, make more beauty, right? You have the privilege to participate in my work of making the whole world flourish and be beautiful and full of life. The great commission is the new creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply is now make disciples, have dominion over the earth. Work for the flourishing of the entire creation is now baptize all people that I've created, all nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's a new creation mandate. Now we, disciples of Jesus, go out. We get to fill the earth and subdue it. Bring Jesus's new creation to this fallen and broken world. And here's the reason I did that whole thing. Sometimes when we read the Great Commission, we tend to think of making disciples uh, as kind of like a sales pitch, you know? When in fact, if we look at the work God gave Adam and Eve to do, we can see that making disciples looks a lot more like tending a garden. It does include bringing new people in. 
Jesus is calling us to go and tell all the nations the good news. But it also includes formation. It includes growth uh, or the classical word, discipleship. If you plant a seed and you want to see it become the vine that it's supposed to be, you have to tend to it. You have to shape it. You have to water it. You have to prune it or you'll never see fruit. That's what making disciples is like. Someone has to plant and someone has to water and prune and tend to it. And so what that means is that if you personally don't have the particular spiritual gift of evangelism, you can still participate in Great Commission work, okay? Now, if you, if you can't talk about Jesus at all, that's something for us to work on, and I want to talk to you, all right? You're not in trouble, but Jesus is too good to be kept a secret, okay? We need to work on that together. Uh, but you may not be called to full-time evangelism, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, or like we see Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts, right? That might not be your calling. That's okay, you can still be a part of Great Commission work. You can still be a part of growing those vines. You can still hold the flashlight while Jesus fixes the lawnmower. Do I have too many metaphors going on here? Okay. When you serve on a welcome team or as an usher, right, and, and you make people feel welcome and like they're a part of this church family, that is Great Commission work. When you serve in kids' worship and you teach our kids what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, that is Great Commission work. If you have children, when you read and talk about the Bible with them, when you pray together, when you lovingly apply discipline, that is great commission work. If you're a teacher and you notice that kid in the back of the classroom and you listen to the Holy Spirit telling you, go talk to him, he needs to hear good news, that's great commission work. And there might not be any books written about you, but you will be a great commission saint. When a friend or a family member, or a co-worker, or a stranger is in need, and you act as the hands and feet of Jesus to that person, that is great commission work. And yes, when you tell hurting and broken people the good news of Jesus Christ, and he uses that to bring them out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that is great commission work. It takes all kinds of Christians with all kinds of gifts to make disciples. And if you're a Christian, you are called and equipped by God in some way to participate in Jesus's work of making disciples. And to do that work, we have to go. I've kind of been working backwards here. We're going now. As Adam and Eve are sent out into the garden to shape it and make it reflect the beauty of the creator, we are sent out to shape this new creation and make disciples that reflect the beauty of their creator. And so for some of us, that does mean going to places that have never heard the gospel before. And if we are not personally called to go in that way, then we support that work. We support our brothers and sisters with our prayers and our finances in any other way that we can. For those of us who are called to Birmingham, Alabama, we can still go. Or another way to translate that verb from the Greek is as you go. As you go and you live your daily life, make disciples of all nations. Show all kinds of people the freedom that you have as a new creation in Christ to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Baptizing them, welcoming them out of chaos and darkness 
into the new creation that Jesus is making and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, shaping and tending these new creations so that they can flourish in Christ. This is the work, this is work that is done in your marriage, in your friendships, in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your church, wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. And we can do this work because we know that it's really Jesus working through us, bringing order out of chaos and light out of darkness and freedom out of oppression. He will not grow weary and he will not stop until his new creation reaches every nation, every tribe, every people group, every socioeconomic status, all the families of the earth. And as you participate in his work, he is with you always to the end of the age. So go with Jesus and make disciples. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.